Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. Jay Zawoski with you here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Talk Back Tuesday. A ton of emails and a voicemail. Just one voicemail this week. Week. Week for my fans. Come on. Send some voicemails. 708 653 0572. No one wants to listen to me mumble for a half hour. Come on, send some voicemails in. We'll play them. They sound great. Do it, do it, do it. Email lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. The Twitter account at LO underscore Blackhawks. You can follow my personal account at jayzawaski670. And of course, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. Not only is it Talkback Tuesday, it's also game day. The Hawks play the Carolina Hurricanes. It's 7.30 tonight at the United Center. Another good test for the Hawks who have won four games in a row and five of their last six. Another tough opponent coming in. So we'll see how they fare against a strong Hurricanes team. So we'll take a look at how the Hurricanes have been doing lately. But let's start it off with Talk Back Tuesday. And because someone had the guts to leave a voicemail message, that's where we're going to start. This is Jack. Jay, I think it might be time for you to rescind, maybe rescind your comments about Gustafson because uh, the dude is in fuego right now. I don't know if he's going to reach that 60-plus points he did last year, but uh, I don't know. To trade or not to trade, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to have a offensive defenseman light the lamp on and off the power play that is the question let me know your thoughts jack thanks for the voicemail there's no doubt eric gustafson is playing much much better and he's playing better because the system fits him it makes perfect sense right that you would have your offensive defenseman when he's allowed to activate when he's allowed to pinch when he's allowed to be aggressive defensively that you start to see some results and some payoff from that i don't hate the guy i thought he was terrible for what they were doing and he was playing terribly until they made the switch system-wise. He had one bad game in that group of games, but other than that, he's been pretty solid since the changes were made, and I think that's sort of to be expected. Now that those changes have been made, hopefully he can maintain this pace throughout the season. I still think they need to move him at the deadline, unless they feel like they're a true Stanley Cup contender, and that's going to take a big, big sample size of winning games for me to believe that the Blackhawks are Stanley Cup contenders. It's going to take a lot for me to believe that. Yeah, they're playing well now, and maybe they play well for the next month or two. The deadline is February 24th. The Hawks have to make a call on Eric Gustafson by then, and I look at the Columbus Blue Jackets last year, who were a good team. They thought they had a shot to win the Stanley Cup. They kept Artemi Panarin. They kept Sergei Bobrovsky for a cup run. And then they were out. And then they were left with nothing. You have to make some decisions with your head here when it comes when it comes to Eric Gustafson. And I think sort of regardless of where they are in the standings, they have to trade him. I'm not taking the risk of losing him for nothing. Spoke to a source this week. I think Eric Gustafson's trade value is higher than we think. I think more teams will be after him than expected. I was shocked to hear it, but this is the second or third person now that's told me that, yeah, the Hawks can get some decent return for him. And again, he's an unrestricted free agent after the season, so don't expect too much. 
But a second-round pick, a third-round pick, maybe a prospect, that's a realistic return for Eric Gustafson. It surprised me, too, but that's the word on the street around the league. There are teams that are very interested in his services. First email of Talk Back Tuesday comes from Clay. He says, can you please just touch on Zach Smith? Thoughts on how he's played? I think he's much better than what we traded for him, Artem Anisimov. Just wanted your thoughts on him. Look, you traded for a bottom six forward with some physical play and some offensive upside, and that's kind of what you've gotten from Zach Smith. Now that he's in the lineup seemingly every night with Drake Kajula on the shelf, sort of limits the opportunity for him to be scratched. He's had an impact, and he's been an effective player for the Blackhawks, and he's not ever going to play a sexy game. He's not ever going to be a guy that makes you jump out of your seat, but this is the kind of guy, if the Blackhawks make the playoffs, he could be one of those guys that proves invaluable, a guy that can take his game to another level when the physical play comes, when teams are worn down, at the end of the year when teams are banged up, having a guy that can play north and south, that can hold his own offensively and defensively and deliver some punishing hits along the way. That's what they wanted when they traded for Zach Smith, and that's what they got along with the salary relief they got. I think he's been fine. Again, he's not going to wow you. He's not going to be a spectacular uh, take-you-out-of-your-seat kind of a player, but he's been very, very solid, brings a calming veteran presence to a young forward core. I like what Zach Smith has brought as well. Now, that said, I don't want him in at least at this point of the season, ahead of Alex Nylander or when he's healthy, Drake Kajula. I want the young guys to play. I want to see what the Blackhawks have in those young players. I'm actually writing a book about the Blackhawks. I think I mentioned this on Lockdown before. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks, and I just did my chapter on the Dark Ages from like 96 to when Kane and Taze arrived, and the Hawks had to make some tough decisions too with Tyler Arneson and Mark Bell and Kyle Calder and Tuomo Rutu, they had to move on from some of these young players they sort they liked but just weren't at the level they needed them to be. This could be the case with Kajula and maybe down the road, Nylander. You have to see what you have in these players, and I think not playing them when they're available would be a mistake. Next email on Talkback Tuesday comes from Big Len. Again, send me an email, lockedonblackhawks at gmail.com, or hit me with a tweet at LO underscore Blackhawks. Big Len says, hey, Jay, what, if anything, are we to make of the second power play unit, Taves, Saad, Nylander, Kubelik, and Gustafson, playing over the first unit? I saw that at least twice last night against the Sabres. I don't really have an issue with it, but what, if anything, do you think it means, or what do you think Cowleton was trying to do? Uh, I didn't notice that as much as you did, Len. I think part of it would be uh, Patrick Kane may have just played a shift. That line might have just played a shift when they drew the penalty. Also... That top line for the Hawks over the last two games has been over 60% in possession numbers. And that includes a Nashville game where they were getting sort of dominated in possession throughout that game. So that line, that top line of Nylander, Saad, and Taves has been really, really tremendous lately. So maybe he's just playing the hot hand. Maybe he's just doing what he thinks is going to uh, you know, garner the best results. I don't have a problem with it. I think that line's been playing really well. And even if it's one of those kind of like, I'm going to make this investment now for down the road, that makes some sense to me too. Show some faith in your second unit and and let them go out there and and show that they can do it. They've played very well. They've earned the opportunity. And I'm uh, really happy with that. What that group has brought to the team 
especially recently. They've been doing a really, really great job. So, yeah, reward them with some power play time. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. Your team is the Chicago Blackhawks, and they're on a roll, winning five of their last six, playing very, very well. They face off against the Carolina Hurricanes tonight. We will get a preview of the Hurricanes coming up very, very soon. Next question is from Chad. He says, Bowman's strategy this offseason appeared to be to fill in the gaps with vets on three or $4 million deals. Shaw, Mata, Dahan, Smith in order to keep seats warm for the kids who are still a year or two out, Doc Boquist, Bodan, Mitchell. Are you concerned that when the time comes, any of those deals will be difficult to move? I know Smith was part of a salary dump, but his $3 million looks tough, and I'm not sure there are going to be any takers for Shaw either. Barring a Seabrook retirement, it's difficult to see a lot of wiggle room to take on Debrinkit's new contract and work a new deal for Strom. Thanks for all the effort on the podcast. Their first-rate Chad Campbell. Chad, thanks so much for the question. Uh, good question. Uh, I don't think that those veteran salaries are going to be as hard to move as you think. Um, Andrew Shaw has some value. He's only got three years left on his deal. Zach Smith has two years left on his deal, and those guys are going to walk away. Um, DeBrinkett's new deal kicks in after this season at 6.4. I don't think there's any way Dylan Strom gets, if DeBrinkett's getting 6.4, I don't think Strom's getting any more than six. So you've got some deals coming off the book. Doc is three years counting this year. He's signed at that number. David Kampf comes off the books after next season. So there's some contracts coming off the books um, that will help the Blackhawks. I do think Olimata at 25 years old is a guy you could move. If you really love the development of Ian Mitchell and Adam Boquist, you can move Connor Murphy at 3.8. For three more years. Yeah, he's your best defenseman right now. But if after this season, you feel like Mitchell and Boquist are ready to be everyday contributors, you can definitely move Connor Murphy's contract. You can you can even wait a year. If you want to keep Murphy next year and then move on from him in 2021-22, that's almost $4 million off the books. They have some flexibility salary cap-wise. Now, the question for me is what happens in goal? This Robin Leonard thing is something that I don't think a lot of people predicted was a possibility before free agency began, and all of a sudden it looks like a guy you have to bring back. If I'm Stan Bowman, that is my priority right now, is finding a new deal for Robin Leonard. Even if it's a year or two, I would get it done sooner than later, because the more he plays like this, the higher that number is going to go, and you don't want to price yourself out, because then what happens? Corey Crawford is an unrestricted free agent after this year, as is Robin Leonard. I don't think it's reasonable or smart. to, Even though Corey Crawford's been really good this year, I'm not really interested in giving him another, I mean, maybe $2 million? Maybe? Maybe one year at three if you're not going to bring Leonard back? But uh, this is this is the thing that I worry about the most going forward as far as contract negotiations go. Next question comes from Armando. Thanks for the email, Armando. He says, it was recently announced that Christopher Stieg and the Rockford Icehogs have mutually agreed to terminate his contract. Seeing that his role there was to help guide and develop the young prospects, it was interesting to see him leave so suddenly. Any insight into his quick release? Uh, I just think Christopher Stieg 
took a look at his health, took a look at the way he was feeling and the way he was playing, and just sort of decided it was time to step away from hockey. Now, interesting thing you state there about the development aspect of it. I don't think his days in the organization are done. I could see the Blackhawks definitely bringing Christopher Stieg back uh, for a role with the team in some sort of way. It could be in Rockford, could be in Chicago, but there's a reason a lot of these veteran players come back to the Blackhawks. They know that there's work in the organization after hockey, and it would not shock me to see Christopher Stieg get some sort of role with the team. Again, he there's nothing really sinister here. There, there's no bad terms whatsoever. I think Christopher Stieg just sort of evaluated where he's at in his life and his career and decided to take a step away. By the way, I mentioned the book I'm writing, finished up a chapter on the Hawks and Canucks series and was watching uh, some of the highlights from 2010. Man, Christopher Stieg is a better player than we gave him credit for. He was all over the place in that 2010 series against the Vancouver Canucks. Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, and that's on the 2010 edition of Lockdown Blackhawks. Were there podcasts in 2010? Probably. I don't know. I didn't have one, believe it or not. Next up is Wally. He says, could you clarify what Cowden actually changed after the big meeting? You mentioned Strom said in his interview, we went back to last year's system and we were a lot more comfortable. There were a lot of people complaining about Cowden's system last season. What did he change and why was he pressured to make changes to his system at the beginning of the season? As for the beginning of the season question, I don't know about that, but I doubt it. I can't imagine anyone was saying, hey, play a more boring, less attacking system. Uh, and you're right, he was criticized for his system last year, but the roster he had was nowhere near what he has right now. Think about the goaltenders the Hawks played last year. Corey Crawford was hurt a lot. It was Cam Ward. It was Cowan Delia. It was not NHL caliber goaltending. Those guys did not have great seasons. Delia had a really nice start, but then crashed back to earth later in the season. Now you've got Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford, both of which are playing all-star level defense. You've replaced... Guys like Brandon Manning with Ole Mata and Calvin DeHaan. You know, Kirby Dock is here contributing. Alex Nylander is here contributing. And maybe you didn't like the Yokoharu trade, but Yokoharu wasn't on a team when Jeremy Cowton took over. So this roster has been big time upgraded. So the system he used last year fits this roster better. That's why it was so frustrating to see the way Jeremy Cowton was coaching at the beginning of this season. Final email of Talkback Tuesday is actually a tweet from Jeff. He says, real question, no snark intended. Do you, Jay, consider yourself a fan or just a reporter media member like other sports journalists? Jeff, there is no way, and I answered this question for him on Twitter, but I wanted to address it here on the podcast. There's no way that I could possibly do this job or my job at 670 The Score or the Madhouse podcast and deny my fandom. Everyone knows I'm a fan. And it was something I struggled with for a long time in my career because journalists are supposed to be objective and I'm supposed to analyze the team in a way that is um, unbiased and without a rooting interest. But at the same time, I worked at the score for 13 years, 12 years before the Blackhawks became relevant, but everyone knew I was the resident Hawks fan. I was a guy that watched every game and cheered for the Hawks and went to all the games So I'm not going to suddenly pretend I'm not a fan. I am very unique in my position in that I am a fan with access and sources. And I think if I really had to sort of draw up my dream career, that's what it would be because I'm not really interested in abandoning my fandom. That's not something that appeals to me. I know some people would want, you know, I got to be dead serious and blah, blah. I think I'm objective. I don't think I'd come out here and wave pom-poms when the Hawks are bad 
or I don't think I'm overly harsh. You know what I mean? I think I, I think I approach this thing with a pretty level head. And of course, after some games, that's very hard to do. When the San Jose Sharks or LA Kings are skating circles around you, it's hard to be level headed and objective. But I do my best to sort of balance that line between fan and analyst. And so far, I think I've done a pretty good job. If you disagree, let me know. Lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. But yeah, it's a fine line I've learned to walk. And uh, I used to be sort of embarrassed about it and a little bit defensive about it, but now I embrace it. I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in this unique of a position, and I'd be foolish to do anything but embrace it. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Jay Zawoski with you here. It is game night, so it is time to go behind enemy lines and take a look at the hated Carolina Hurricanes. Actually, no one hates the Hurricanes. That's ridiculous. Oh, Don Cherry does, but he's fired. So I guess it doesn't matter anymore, right? All right, let's take a look at the possession numbers for Carolina. Then we will compare them to the Blackhawks. First of all, the Hurricanes are 12-7-1 with 25 points in 20 games. They are plus 11 in goal differential. Corsi 4 percentage, the Carolina Hurricanes are number one in the National Hockey League with a 54.41 percentage at 5-on-5. Five five. That is 950 shot attempts for and 796 shot attempts against high-danger scoring chances. The Hurricanes are fourth overall in the league with a 54.73 percentage. 191 high-danger scoring chances for, 158 against. They have the number three expected goals for percentage in the in the league with a 53.84. They have won three straight, including a 4-3 overtime win over the Wild, a 5-4 overtime win over the Savers, and an 8-2 win over the Ottawa Senators. Comparatively, the Blackhawks are 9-7-4 in 20 games with 22 points. They're a plus two in goal differential. As you know, they have won four straight games. In Corsi 4, the Blackhawks are 29th overall with a 46.04 percentage at 5-on-5. Five five. That's 831 shot attempts for, 974 against. Their expected goals for is 29th in the league with a 45.13%. High danger chances, the Hawks are 28th with a 45.43 percentage. That's 169 to 203 in high danger scoring chances for and against. And, of course, all that info available at Natural Stat Trick. Com. Follow the link in the description of this podcast to go to their glossary of terms. Let's take a look at Carolina's leading scorers. Defenseman Dougie Hamilton leads the Hurricanes with 22 points, 9 goals, and 13 assists. All these stats, by the way, in 20 games for each of these players. Andrei Svechnikov has an identical 9-goal and 13-assist season, 22 points for him. Our special boy, Tavo Teravainen. 19 points in 20 games, that's 5 goals and 14 assists. Sebastian Ajo has 9 goals and 6 assists for 15 points. And Ryan Dezingle, who a lot of people wanted the Blackhawks to sign this offseason, has 4 goals and 10 assists for 14 points in 20 games. Taking a look at the Blackhawks scoring leaders, who do you think's number 1? That's right, it's Patrick Kane. In 20 games, he has 11 goals and 15 assists for 26 points. Alex Dabrinkit. Five goals, 11 assists for 16 points. Dylan Strom, four goals, 12 assists for 16 points. Brandon Saad, six and six for 12. Jonathan Taves, four goals, seven assists for 11 points. Behind him is Dominic Kubelik with nine points. 
in 19 games, and Kirby Doc catching up with nine points in 14 games. Doc has really come on lately. He's been really, really strong, and I'm very, very excited to see how this season will continue for him. Check out, by the way, Ben Pope of the Sun-Times. I'm not going to steal his content, but he wrote on Monday about Kirby Doc's scoring pace. Kirby Doc is averaging four fewer minutes per game than Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. He's now averaging more points per game than both. Check that out. Ben Pope on Twitter. Follow him at Ben Pope CST for an update on how well Kirby Doc is doing, especially in comparison to those highly rated, highly thought of, and they should be, by the way, NHL prospects. The unquestioned number one and number two picks coming into this draft this year, Kirby Doc is outpacing them both in points per game. So interesting. Check that out from Ben Pope. So that's it for going behind enemy lines against the Carolina Hurricanes. Look, we've talked a lot about uh, advanced stats and metrics throughout the season, and um, a lot of people live and, by, by, live and die by them. I certainly don't. I think they're a nice tool to see trends, to see how games went, to see how players are playing over a big sample size. But however you shake this one out tonight against Carolina, it's a tough matchup for the Blackhawks. They're a really good team offensively. They're a really good team defensively. Carolina is one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, and pretty much whatever you use to look at such things would support that claim. Uh, I really like their young talent. Obviously, people that listen to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast know how much I love Tavo Teravainen, how crushed I was when they had to trade him to get rid of Brian Bickle's contract. I think Sebastian Ajo is one of the more exciting players in the National Hockey League, uh, a big star in the making. And as you know, I love the Finns. Everybody knows that. I'm a big fan of the Finns. I think Carolina is a really, really strong team, a really fun team. If you're looking for an Eastern Conference team to sort of jump on board with, especially when the playoffs roll around, consider the Hurricanes. Very likable group of players uh, and uh, exciting team. They play the game uh, excitingly on offense, and they can shut it down defensively if they have to. So uh, excited to watch this one. Another really, really strong test for the Blackhawks. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle things tonight at home in front of the United Center crowd. They should be fired up. As the Bears start to fade away here, the Blackhawks are going to start to pick up some buzz. I started to sense it a little bit. Some people that don't usually talk to me about hockey have been talking to me about hockey. I think people are looking for a way out from the misery the Bears give them every Sunday. And hopefully now that the Blackhawks are getting off to a uh, bit of a streak here, maybe t- people start jumping on again, jumping on earlier. Usually people wait until you know football season's totally over, even when the Super Bowl's over, before they jump on board with the winter sports. But hopefully uh, the Bears have been so bad, and not, not just bad, but disappointing. Uh, maybe that will get some people to jump on the Blackhawks bandwagon sooner than later. So let's hope, um, you know, with the isolation on Tuesday night, no football to go up against. The Blackhawks put on a good showing tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. I can't wait to see it. Hopefully you'll join me on Wednesday morning. We'll be talking about two points again and a fifth win in a row for the Chicago Blackhawks. But again, it's going to be one hell of a test. I can't wait to watch it. I'll break it all down Wednesday morning on Locked On Blackhawks. Don't miss it. Thank you all so much for listening to Locked On Blackhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening.